because you watched the game plan. Hey, look, Craig's here. I think as Craig you watched, here. I figured it out. <laughs> as you watched the game play out, Baylor fans today are, you know, they're going back and they're watching it and they're saying, wow, Blake Shapen must really suck because they would not let him throw the ball. They didn't trust him to throw the ball. Oh, wow, he made a few mistakes. He, he must be awful. Like, look, guys, this was his first road start. And at the end of the day, it was 18 for 28, I think. I mean, it wasn't it's like not he... That bad. He didn't... Yeah, he like wasn't he had... able to push the ball downfield, but yeah. they, it wasn't for lack of trying. Just they didn't have great receivers. Like, we, for the first... I mean, when was the last time we went in? But it was just... I mean, D'Angelo Mandel, Caleb Hayes, and Gabe Judy Lally, they just straight up bodied their guys. And they yeah. were not... They were trying to send guys deep, but they couldn't. And so... So the passing game wasn't clicking, but Shapin was fine. I, I don't think he was spectacular, but he was fine. He was what you'd expect for a guy making his first road start in a hostile environment. But what really stood out to me was that Grimes just continued to go to the run, almost as if he knew eventually the BYU defensive line would break. And candidly, so did the rest of us, right? Like every oh, single yes. one of us kind of like winced a little bit every time that ball was handed off because it was – only a matter of time until that next carry was the big one. You know, like we waited it, for it, it all game felt, long. It well, it felt, when they tied it at twenty, it and then throughout like most of the fourth quarter, it really felt like. Do you remember the twenty fifteen game against UCLA in the Rose Bowl when it was like we scored it, or like we punted? I remember the exact thing at the end of the game, but it was like as soon as we turned the ball over with like four minutes left, it was just like okay, they're going to keep handing the ball to Paul Perkins and he's just going to march his way down the field and they're not even going to have to pass the ball, but they're just going to get four yards of Paul March the way down and score and we're going to lose. Like that was the feeling of like, they're going to get one. They're going to get one. And yep. one's going to pop, but it just, it never came. It never and, happened. And, and what was really interesting, what was really, I think, maybe the most, I don't know what the word is, gratifying thing for me to see is that even though Grimes continued to go to that well, right, continued to hand the ball off, waiting for the inevitable break by the BYU defense, they didn't break, but Elisa Tuiaki kept helping his defensive line out. In the past, we've seen where, like, the game script is set up in a way that eventually it feels like they're going to run play action and try to, you know, hit a big play. You've almost, almost seen Tuiaki and Kalani outthink themselves a little bit and stop being aggressive to stop the run and prevent that big play from happening. We, we, we've seen that multiple times over the last three or four years. But they continued to bring pressure. It wasn't about getting to the quarterback all the time. It was about, you know, run fit and, and, and stop or filling gaps and stopping the run. They were, there were a lot of run blitzes in that game, which helped immensely, right? And so i think that was what was so cool for me of all the good things that everybody has said about elisa tuiaki so far it was that that was really uh it was really most like the most eye-opening for me is that he didn't fall back on what he what he knows what he's comfortable with he i think tuiaki was uncomfortable right we have how many now six years worth of him calling games to kind of know what he likes to do he was outside of that comfort zone 60 minutes on Saturday night. And it worked, which is great. I don't know if it will work every single week. I think it worked because Jeff Grimes continued to wait for that in, in inevitable collapse and it never happened. Maybe now, you know, Oregon's seen it on tape. Some of these other teams down the road will have seen it on tape so they can plan for it a little bit better. So he's got to continue to mix it up with things like that. But in that game, for 60 minutes against a coaching staff who knows his defense inside and out, Elisa Tuiaki was comfortable being uncomfortable and comfortable doing things that he doesn't do every week. And that was super awesome for me to see because that's been the complaint, right? Is that he does the same thing, even though that's, you know, hyperbole and, and, and fan speak trying to explain blowouts most of the time. Uh, he, he's been comfortable doing what he does and, and he has kind of had a hard time getting out of that box. But, but last, last week was, was an exception and it helped. Well, and I think it, it kind of ties back to what we talked about a few weeks ago when he did an interview in camp um, with Jerem Jordan, and he talked a lot about what he, you know, he said, you know, back in 2016 and the first part of 2017, we, he's like, we ran a lot of quarters, we were more aggressive, we ran more man than we've ever did, done, and then now 
he said he felt like they finally have the people to be able to do that. And it really, this kind of building on in, in all, all season fans have talked about of how this, you know, game or, you know, last season against U of A and ASU and Utah. And then, you know, once Peely got hurt against ASU, that was when it was like, it felt like the whole defense changed. And that's mm-hmm. really, and it is kind of true, but this feels more like an extension of that because you took literally every single person who was there except for, I guess we lost Uriah Leotawa. He was the only one who left. Every other single soul on that defense came back and it got better. And then you added an SEC starter and gave Judy Lally, who came in and he's your third corner. He's not even your starter. And he was, I mean, yes, it's Vandy, but he was still, he was starting and playing against SEC receivers week in and week out. And so I think it's, he went out, he definitely went outside of his comfort zone, but also I think it does speak to the fact that it's like, we are very healthy and he feels like there is a lot of, there's a lot of talent there and a lot of athleticism that he feels like he's able to actually use now. And I mean, big shout out, especially to the defensive line. That's something we've been saying all seasons. Like this is kind of the put up or shut up year. And the defensive line has looked light years better than they did last year and all off season people were like, well, they sucked last year. How are they going to be any better this year? But then you kind of look down and other than Leitala, pretty much everybody once Zoe Fauteo went down was an underclassman last year. You know, a lot of you look at Mangleton, Haas, John Nelson hardly played. He's getting a lot around Tyler Batty, all of those guys, all of the people who are getting the bulk of the reps. Um, Cause you know, nice. Amahe missed most of the year last year. If not all of it, I don't remember now. It's, you know, most of the guys who are getting all of the reps were freshmen and sophomores last year. And if so they... Caden Hawes, not Caden Hawes, if Winnie the Pooh took the ooze from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles' Secret of the Ooze that made those one mutant freaks that were like, that stood up to the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> yes. If Winnie the Pooh took that ooze, he would look like Caden Hawes. With that pants. is the most... With pants, the pants is a very important part. Um, so it's the, I mean, the line has taken that step forward. And I mean, we're talking about where it's like, Ice Moa hasn't played at all, right? And it's, you know, our, our guy, Logan Fano, like he's obviously hurt and he would be in the rotation. But I mean, Ice needs to bulk up and he's going to slide inside and be more of an interior lineman as his career goes on. But it's like, you're talking about a four star kid who's not getting any playing time at all because of the other guys really just like they have stepped up. And so it's taken time. Now, this is early in the season. Everybody is healthy. Can the guys below them do it? I don't know. But I also noticed, I mean, there were the hockey subs a bunch, but it seemed too that they were doing those hockey subs, but it was like doing, you know, other than, you know, going into like a key, like a third and long where you want to get your best pass rushers in, like on that fourth down play when freaking Josh Singh went in, who Josh Singh is, has great hands and, pro- and is like a very underrated as a walk on from Orem High School. Who's, I think he has, if you go watch his huddle, it's, he's a very good and very technical defensive lineman. Um, but it's like they, when they did the hockey subs, it was not like all 11 guys. It was like we did the linebackers or we did the D line or, one linebacker and half the D line, like it was still rotating to keep that freshness. And there'd be times, especially which kind of made sense, especially with how they were pounding the ball of like, okay, they subbed And part of subbing to and being technical is like, if the offense subs someone, you get a chance to sub somebody. So if they're late in the play clock, then you can, you know, if it's, they sub somebody 12 seconds left, then you can say, Oh yeah, let's sub our nose guard. And Hey guys go really slow and get it back out here. And as long as the ref is standing over that ball, they can't snap it. So then it forces them to get up in a hurry. So there is some game gamesmanship to it. Um, but I think with, you know, the subs were less like wholesale on the defense and more of a specific group. And so there were still a lot of guys going through and a lot of guys being fresh, but it wasn't like what we seem to see last year and in previous years where it was like, we just swapped out our entire front seven when it went from first and 10 to second and seven, like that's a very similar situation. Like this isn't like, a, you know, you, you completely flip from like a run stuffing package on third and one to, you know, now they're back to first and 10. So we're going to go back to our, you know, defense or like it's, you got a big sack. And so now it's third and forever. And so, you know, now you want to move to your dime defense and like get extra body, you know, bodies on the back end. So it was like, it was, it seemed like a lot more like logical 
rather than just like the random of like hockey subs. Yeah, I don't know if you felt that way. It wasn't hockey subs. I mean, that's that's been the thing is it's been like, what is a hockey sub when they bring out the whole friggin' unit, right? right? That was last year where it was like you'd look and it'd be like, oh, okay, the starters are in. Like, oh, wait, wait a minute. We let's break out the roster to learn who number 71 is that's playing linebacker. Uh, uh, that, was that was number case. 59 this week, and that was uh, Lutui who transferred from Weber State. That, that was the random number that we had to pay attention to. No, who I, actually I, he did very well, and he was very versatile. And he got a like, I think he played like 20 some odd snaps, and he played some with his hand in his dirt, some as a rush edge, like he did some in coverage. Like he, he looked good and I, did a very good job, and he's been all over the place. Um, what is I because he's is, good. Is I, he is good. As I thought about this game and kind of reviewed the stats, because what Baylor they ran the ball like fifty-two times or something, which yeah. is kind of ridiculous. Because the in in the two overtime periods, it was like the twenty-two plays that they ran in overtime. Eighteen of the twenty-two were rushes. So it's like they, I'm I mean, Grimes, he but, totally thought like we can get twenty-five yards. Like if we well, will just right. go four yards a pop and march our way down the field, and that worked until the crowd came an issue. But if you look at that set, it, honestly, this game, and I kind of have the realization that I was looking back for it, it kind of played out. It was like exactly the same as the Boise game last year without the turnovers. Like imagine if we had turned the ball over three times and given the, like given Baylor three free possessions, we probably would have lost by 10, 12 points. And that's exactly what happened last year. And Boise, you know, every, the thing coming in, the big difference though, is like the thing coming into the Boise game last year is talk about how bad Boise's offensive line was, which is true. But, and then talk, after the game, people were like, oh, they gashed us. They ran for, I think Boise, they ran for like 170 yards or something like that. But Boise only ran, they averaged like 3.2 yards a carry last year. Like it wasn't, it was very similar in that game plan where it wasn't, they didn't get a bunch of yards because they, you know, like the Baylor game last year where they just ran all over. It was just like, that was literally all they did. So they were content getting three and a half, trying to get three and a half yards and just barely moving the sticks and just barely moving the sticks. And that's what happened. And for the most part, we stopped them last year, except for when we gave them really, really short fields. And then they got 14 free points on us and that ended up costing us the game. And so it was very similar in that regard where the defense, um, you know, how do we turn the ball over and they're giving more points? Then I think a lot more people would be talking about how the defense couldn't get off the field. They couldn't, you know, they just were able to convert first downs, whatever. And so it definitely, um, I think it was very similar. It kind of just shows like how massive turnovers are. And both teams played very, very, well, they played sloppy. There were a lot of penalties, but both teams played very clean and protecting the ball. Like nobody put the ball on the ground. There wasn't a fumble by either team. And then, you know, obviously neither quarterback, I think each quarterback maybe only had like maybe one ill-advised throw. I remember Jaron had one that he threw to Cosper that was could have been picked off and then Shapin, there was like maybe one that got passed record. Like both quarterbacks were very efficient and very willing to like neither team wanted to turn the ball over at all, at all costs and, and kind of what they did. And so it was, it was a, but it, I, there were a lot of similarities with that boys game last year, except for instead of playing an awful offensive line, it was playing one of the best offensive lines in the country. So it sure means a hell of a lot more to hold them to just under three yards of carry for an entire game, especially against the team that gashes for 300 plus rushing yards last year. Yeah. I, I think that uh, the other thing, I mean, just last thought on, on this, and then I think we open it up to anybody who has anything to say, uh, my last thought is uh, kudos to the coaching staff, right? Because we, we knew that Jeff Grimes knows this defense. Talked about that at you know, the beginning of this. Like uh, Jeff Grimes thought he knew what to expect. Uh, the BYU coaching staff knew exactly what Jeff Grimes was going to do. They knew that if they stopped the run, Jeff Grimes was going to continue to go and run. Like That was part of why Aaron Roderick took over for Jeff Grimes' play calling. Uh, they know that he wants to run the ball. They know how he likes to run the ball. Um, one thing that was really, really impressive, I remember one run where the wide zone really bit BYU, where we, you know, where where we saw the the defensive line just totally get undercut. Everything went to the right, and then there was, you know, that was that was wide zone to a T. That everything goes one way, and then the running back cuts it back. And there's nobody on the field the other way. We we saw that once, and, and BYU even shifted at the line like they thought they saw what was coming, and then they still got smoked on it. And that's the kind of stuff that Jeff Grimes does to teams week in and week out. 
so credit to the coaching staff for knowing who Jeff Grimes is and what that offense was going to do and, and what, uh, what to expect. They had those guys ready to roll. So um, just for those of you who are still joining and new to this, this setup, it's really kind of like our post-game call-in show. If you got something to say, uh, request to speak. Let's let's talk through whatever. Uh, we'll talk about Oregon later on in the week. It's kind of hard not to talk a little bit about Oregon, um, but we'll talk. We'll have our regular show where we preview Oregon. We'll talk about Cialia Sara and, and you know the recruiting news and things like that. This is really meant to kind of focus on the game. Um, but by all means, let's open it up. And if anybody has something to say, say it. So everyone can request to speak, and uh, I've got that open. So as soon as you want to hop in, we can put you on the stage. Um, the I think to look back at there were some plays that um, I there were some plays where it was kind of I don't know what did you think of the play calling and I know you kind of in the game thread you kind of mentioned this of like why the play calling to end regulation. I know you hated like like the two. Jaron Hall's. I wish you almost need to adjust Jaron Hall's numbers because, right, like those two, they were like the passing equivalent of kneeling the ball, where he just like purposely nail mailed it over Robert's head. Like they stuck Roberts in the end zone, it was just like you throw it over his head. We don't care. We just need to wind the clock down, but we're out of timeout, so we need to make sure that we can stop it. Because, but it was what did you? I guess would you have done anything different if you were there? I just, didn't, I just didn't understand it. It felt like, remember when, uh, I can't even remember what game it was last year, but Kalani had them kneel the PAT. It was like, oh, no, we're not going to kick this PAT. We don't, we don't want anything crazy to happen. They were up by like three. And so instead of risking the PAT, they just went into victory formation on the point after and knelt on it. And it was like, right. I, I I mean, I guess I understand the logic, but wow, we're we're really overthinking ourselves here, folks. That's kind of what I got. Like, what was the situation? It, you know, Oldroyd likes it on that one hash. He he likes to. He he told us on our show when we when we had him on just whenever that was a week or two ago. He kicks with a draw. You know, it kind of goes from right to left most of the time. So he likes the ball on the left hash because he can kind of aim and then hook it back in. Right, he aims a little bit right and it, it hooks back in. So they were on the right hash, and it was you know thirty five forty yard field goal, whatever it ended up being. So they were they were in the comfort zone. Um, it was first, I guess it was second down with I don't know. I think it seems like there were twenty twenty two seconds or something like that. So they didn't yeah. have timeouts, so I, fine. Like we've kind of set the stage. But I, what I didn't understand was why. So they call two plays, and those two plays were just like. It, it almost didn't feel like anybody even had a chance, right? They throw the ball, and it was very clear that uh, Jaron was just told, hey, get it out of bounds unless something's right there. He didn't even look long enough for something to be there, so I don't really understand why they, they even ran those plays. I I would have rather, like, if they were content with the field goal try, which clearly they were, I would have rather them just, like, kneel on it, like, get back on, kneel on it on second down, get back on the ball quick, the clock is running spike it with three seconds and away you go like if that's if you're planning on just like running nothing plays to stop the clock why throw the ball at all why sit in shotgun and risk a bad snap or something weird it just felt strange like it felt like right. it felt like it was an intent like like a baseball thing right like back in the day when you actually intentionally walked somebody instead of just like throwing the four pitches and putting them on to base it was like oh well we're gonna still pitch around this guy and maybe, you know, something gets away from you. Like, it just kind of felt unnecessary to me. I mean, I guess and it worked out. It was the same result as if they would have just knelt on it and spiked it once, but and I just didn't get yeah. it. It felt unnecessary. I mean, honestly, in that situation, I probably, I mean, I may have even just run it once and then maybe gone, if you're going to do that, then do the field goal attempt on third down. Like if we're going to overthink things that could go wrong, yeah, I probably would run it, run it once and run it as a normal, because the first one, it was like, okay, they ran a play. It wasn't, they put it out of bounds on the second one. It was like, they lined up and ran the exact same play. And this is the facade because Jared, like it wasn't even close yeah, to possibly being in row. It was nowhere. And so I would have just like run it on the second play 
and then taking the field goal. If you're worried about things going wrong, take the field goal attempt, like 15 seconds left on third down. And then if you mess up the snap, if it's a bad hold, any of those things go wrong, you can get it again on fourth on fourth down right. versus needing to like, you know, if that's what you're worried about, like managing the clock or like you said, just like chew clock and then, you know, take the knee, then spike it on third down and then kick the field goal. And I just, I don't know, I feel bad. Um, and we do have like, finishes up. we got Ian waiting on deck here. Um, I, I feel bad for, you know, feel bad for Jake, obviously. And it's like, because those, those situations, I mean, what this is, he was lucky to have three or two, but it was, you know, he's had the Arizona game and then he had like the Tennessee game of like high pressure. You have to do this. Otherwise the game is over situations or close, you know, potentially over situations. And it's like, they just don't come along. And so it's like, it's going to be, it'll be interesting to see how he is used and what happens with him this Saturday. Just cause like, if he's in a funk, just kickers, like, where do you get the volume from? It's not like where you're a quarterback where you can throw a pick six and then they can come out and they can call three straight plays for you 10 seconds later and you're back on the field slinging it around and getting a shot to, like, bounce back. You don't, like, you just don't have that those opportunities as a kicker, especially in those high-pressure situations. Like, they don't come often enough as it is. And then being in a game-winning situation, um, it, it kind of it, – it's a mess, right? And, and so I – uh, that's something that I will be interested to see this Saturday of just how, like, does his field goal range get shortened? And maybe that's part of it too. If they didn't care about trying to get any more yards, because for the the trust in him was, well, if it's within side forty, it doesn't really matter. Like, what's in a thirty yard field goal, forty yard field goal? Is there really that much of a difference? And with him, they felt like there wasn't. So it was like, hey, we're close enough. Don't screw it up. Just let's get the field goal attempt. And so they showed a ton, a ton of faith in him which right the foolish though because he'd earned it but it was just it was a very unfortunate um very unfortunate in the chain of events for him so let's get ian on here let's see it sometimes takes a ian we have we're joined by ian prescott uh tax aficionado who's trying to ruin people's lives by hear encouraging me? Them to, yes we can hear you um. Oh, now your Ian was trying to convince one Joe Wheat to come do taxes Hello? with him. I think Ian can't hear us, but we can hear Ian. Hey, can Ian, you hear are you there? Uh, Ian. Okay, we're gonna. Let's see. How do I remove him? Sorry, Ian. We love you, but you are not. Uh... Let's see. You must I can't. Be. I can't. Yeah, yeah, the accounts are not good technology. Okay, we've got, uh, let's see, I don't know who even, Notorious GRC, I know you have been on the server for a while. I don't even know you, who you are in real life or what your real name is. But my, uh, so welcome. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. All right. So my name is Grant. Uh, I, I, it's been a, I've been a long, I've been a long time listener, but glad to be able to chat with you guys i wanted to say it was some i i gotta apologize my voice is still gone i almost literally passed out we were over in the in the south section just screaming our guts out hoping and praying on that second overtime that things would go our way and i have to say in the stadium the way things were going i mean the defense played an awesome game obviously we've seen the stats like under three yards rushing obviously a huge improvement um but the way things were going, it was like, like it just seemed like they were just going to get three yards every play. And, you know, three times four is 12. That's going to be a first down every time. They were just going to walk into the end zone eventually. And it was like I, I was just so surprised with the defense, honestly, that they were even able to come up and continue to fight after everything, Cause especially after the Jake Oldroyd misses. And I love Jake. So, so, so good that. He's on our team. I'm glad he's on our team. He'll make the next one. But even after those two, you could just feel like everyone in the stands, we had just been yelling this whole time. We were just like, oh, this is not going to go our way. We've seen this before. But right. I, was so pr- I was so proud about the defense that they were able to hold tough. But I also have to say, I don't know if we win in, in the same scenario, if we win the game, if it weren't for all those the false starts that we were able to 
to get when they were that close, and we had to we had to force Blake. Who, I mean, honestly, I think he's a good quarterback. I think, I think, just looking at the receivers, like you see, I mean, after the game, like their number one receiver goes out. He wasn't having that much success until then, anyway. Just throwing the tight ends, but like after that, it was just no separation. He just had nowhere to throw it to, especially even on the last play, no one to go to. But putting it in his hands, it just wasn't going to win the game. But um, I just wanted to. Say, I guess the two things was the 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 rock came through again, and I was just so proud that the defense was able to keep it going, even whenever the fans all just kind of. I don't know if everyone would have said it out loud, but I had kind of given up. But then I was just so excited to see how it all went down. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, it was really encouraging to see the, to just see the way that the defense was able to respond. And I agree with you, man, a hundred percent that the way that the, um, the way that the student section really kind of stepped up and they won that game. They were, they were a huge part of that. Um, and that's, you know, that's a big part. That's a big part of why, why BYU was able to do what BYU did. Uh, okay. So I don't know how to kick people off of here. So we'll just sort of add whoever's next. Let's try this again. And if you fail this time, you fail forever. Here we go. I see Ian. All right. Is that better? Can you hear ah, yes. Can you hear us? I can. Sorry about that earlier. Accountants can do hard things. <laughs> hey, so I wanted to get back to your comment on the weird um, throwing it out of the bounce plays before the field goal, um, the missed field goal at the end of the game. Yeah. So A-Rod actually talked about that on coordinator's quarter today. And uh, I don't know if you guys listened to that, but he, he talked about that. And what he said was, they they actually practice that specifically in those situations where they want a low-risk play that's going to take a few seconds off the clock. Because um, he says each time they do that play, you, the quarterback throws it out. It's, it's it's a full five seconds off the clock. So he's like, we ran it twice and ran 10 seconds off the clock. So that was their reasoning behind it. But it's not completely 100% zero risk because, like you said, you could have – snap go over the quarterback's head or, 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 or something bad happened, right? But I guess they view it as much lower risk than handing it off to the running back and having a fumble or something like that. So that's the reasoning. Interesting. That that. That's interesting. No, and I'm glad you brought that up because, no, I did not listen to coordinator's coordinator or corner. Um, but that's, I don't know, it just feels like one of those things. Just overthinking to me, but yep. like, whatever, it worked out. So what do I know? Yeah, I, I do have a question, though. Does, I mean – hasn't been brought up much. We know Oldroyd has had back problems in the last few years. Is there any concern that his field goal issues on Saturday are, or he's having back problems again? Or do you think he wouldn't even have been in the game if he was having back issues again? Uh, I don't, well, I think that there's a lot of, so if you go back and listen to the show when, when we interviewed Jake, he talked about how he kicks at like 80 to 90% now. Uh, in an order, in an effort to prevent back issues from happening, he related it to a golf drive, right? That like if you go out and you swing balls to the wall, which we now know what that means, so great. If you go balls to the wall and you swing 100%, then you're more likely to slice it. I, I, I get the logic, but you know, don't tell Tiger Woods not to swing balls to the wall. Like you just figure it out. If you're an elite athlete, you figure it out. And and so I think that there's some of that that it feels like he's maybe not going at full capacity and maybe that's in his head a little bit and kickers are funny right like kickers if there's anything but the kick going on in their brain they tend to miss and like kicking is more mental than anything else and so it makes me wonder maybe the back isn't hurt necessarily but it's like hey maybe this is the kick that it could get hurt and he's trying to prevent that 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 seems like the more likely scenario than he actually is hurt right now yeah but definitely that was my that was my first thought after after I threw my hat on the ground after the second miss. I thought, what if he's what if he's hurt again and he could miss half the season again? And that really concerned me. But hopefully, it's more of a mental thing than anything. So I hope so. And honestly, man, I don't know. I don't know which is worse. Like kickers with mental problems, you might as well get your backup kicker going. So it's true. So okay, Ian, thank you. Um, we'll come talk to you again come accounting season, like when we need our taxes done or something. Uh, Garrett. Then next up, uh, we got Travis. 
So, uh, Travis was actually, Travis was a great host. I slept on his couch on Saturday, or not on his couch, in on a, in his son's bed because his family was out of town for all of 90 minutes on Saturday night. And that might... That might be good luck. So I don't, I don't know if that gives us good luck going into the next game. But if if we lose, I might have to start repeating what everything I did on Saturday, which would get very expensive very quickly. Yes, I will kick my I will kick my son out of his room any day for you, Garrett. Oh, thank you, Becky. Beck can go sleep on the couch. <laughs> I'm just uh, excited that Ian didn't bring up uh, marching band talk. I was a little bit worried about that. So thanks, Ian, for not bringing up the marching band. I was also going to talk yips, too. I thought even maybe he has the yips. If he has the yips, let's just go to Justin Smith. He's a proven commodity. He kicked well for us last year. I'm, I'm all right with that. But uh, what do we got to do to get our tight ends involved a little bit more? I know Rex is probably working his way back in, but Matt Holker is a mismatch all day, every day. I mean, we got to get him some more targets, some more touches, uh, something. What are you guys' thoughts on that? Uh, my one yeah, point it's... about the A Rod offense is that it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't know how to say this because people are going to think I'm blasphemous here, but it doesn't get guys open, right? Like when guys get themselves open, the offense is there, but it isn't an offense that seems to, um, you know, like you have a lot of rub routes or whatever that is able to get somebody loose, right? Like it doesn't seem to exploit the mismatches. It really just seems to rely on pass catchers winning one-on-one battles. And and so with that, you know, in mind, like not that there's an, anything inherently wrong with that, as long as you have the talent, uh, the tight ends just have to, they got to get open. I mean, that's really the biggest thing right now is that, they're not creating – I don't want to say that they're not creating any space, but they're not creating as much space as the wide receivers are. So Jaron Hall's not looking at them. They, the, either the, if we want to get them going, if, if BYU wants to get them going, then A-Rod's got to design some plays to get them open that where they're the first look, or they've got to find a way to get more open on their own because right now they're they're just not getting as open as receivers are. Yeah, so I, I just pulled up the PFF receiving grades. And so if you look at number of targets, you got Chase Roberts is number one with 15. Cosper and Keanu Hill are number, both have eight. Epps has seven. Brooks has four. And then uh, Rex and Holker are tied with Pini Katoa. Or sorry, Brooks has six. And then Holker and Rex are tied with Pini Katoa at four. Um and then Mason Wake is right behind him at three. So it's really it's it's almost like the tight end has kind of gone away just because for the first time ever we have a million really really good receivers, right? Like before we would always like even if you look at back at like the Dennis Pitta, Andrew George days, right? It was <clears throat> we had one receiver who was really good, another receiver was like okay, and then we were splitting a tight end out to be our third receiver because the tight ends were better than our actual receivers. And now we kind of we have Keanu Hill, who's a little faster than Holker, who kind of is filling that third role, or Cosper is quicker as well. And so it's some of it is just the personnel that we actually have in the building. But and obviously Rex is more of a traditional tight end. But I would I would like to see Holker get more. But kind of going back to what Jeff said, it's like they just got to get open. And if you look at their grades on PFF, it's like they're route running grades like they're not great and so it's they're doing they're okay but they're not great and so it's like we'd, i'd love to see them get more volume but i'm also pretty much like the if it's you know if we have receivers and jaren if jaren is still getting his numbers i don't care who's on the other end of that um because and so whatever that means and it's we're spreading the ball around a bunch so it's i think we i would like to see a bit more but they also just have to get open which and i think against the linebacking core that um that Baylor had that was a little tougher and so it but and if they especially the way Baylor wanted to play it if they wanted to leave Robert sitting wide open all night then we'll do that so I think we'll see more as the season goes on um just because Holker like his mission legs are gone he's back into it he looks great Rex is still maybe kind of easing back into things um and so just seeing how they get there but I think I think we will see more but I because A Rod is content on taking what the defense gives us, but we actually have 
receivers. Like when has there ever been in the history of BYU football where you could go four wide with Puka Romney, Chase Roberts, and Keanu Hill, and all four of those guys in any random year would be wide receiver one by a pretty decent margin. And even throughout all of our history of passing, because we've never had such great dominant receivers, but now it seems like we really do. Um, and so I think that's that's the other half of that equation is just our receivers are better than they ever have been. So we don't need to use the tight end as an extra receiver to make up for the lack of dominant talent or great talent in the re- receiver room. Right, where We don't have the slot receiver who's going to run really crisp routes and we've got 18 guys that all have 37 catches for 400 yards on the roster, but none of them are like super memorable. We actually have a lot of star power in the receiver room. Cool. Let's move to, I don't know who this is. Let's see, let's see what we got next is uh, Brady Tangberg. Me... Hey there, guys. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Oh, that's on my. Sorry, I switched to my actual uh, my actual phone here. Um, cool. So I appreciate you letting me speak here. Um, I have two two questions. So one, uh, one there were obviously were a, a ton of different recruits that were at the game. Would love to hear if there was any uh, any, any sort of positive feedback or anything else that you've heard from recruits, and also just hear if if things like this game day atmosphere actually make a difference, or or you know, or, or if they actually move the needle at all for some of these guys. And then the other thing would be. You know, I, I don't. I don't know all the receiver positions super well. I, I know we typically have you typically have a guy who's number one in a certain spot. Um, but for you know, it, it, as soon as as soon as Puka and Gunner come back, does you know does does Chase Roberts play the same position as one of them, and how will that affect his ability to get on the field if if, if he's the same type of receiver as Puka or, or something like that? Uh, yeah. So Garrett, I'll knock out the recruiting question, and then I'll let you tackle the the wide receiver. Okay. Uh, the recruiting stuff, so so short answer is yes, it does make an impact. It generally doesn't, it's generally not anybody's number one priority, right? Like nobody's, no no recruit is waking up and saying, man, I just want to go to the school with the best game day atmosphere. So it's not like it's the, the do or die thing for most school, or for most schools, but it absolutely makes a difference because the environment is indicative of the fan support now you can kind of tie that into like the nil opportunities you can tie that into the uh, amount of social media following that you're going to get if you commit to a certain school like that stuff all sort of tangentially is impacted by the game day atmosphere so so it does make an impact in that way and then it is just cool right for for some of these kids to get there it's just cool for them to see uh, that that kind of environment in terms of the the guys who were there on Saturday night, yeah, a lot of great feedback. Um, I I haven't you know written anything or, or published anything about the feedback that I, I've received so far, but I've talked to to most of the big name guys that were there. You know, I talked to Ciale before he committed. Um, I've talked to, a little bit to, to Spencer, to Ethan, to Smith, uh, to Ike Garcia. So to to a lot of the guys that you know are the names that we're going to care about the most. And they all kind of say the same thing, right? So that, that's why I kind of don't read too much into the, the comments immediately after the game. They all say that, yeah, it was a crazy atmosphere. The fans were super engaged. It was fun. The team played well. They all say they're all coached these days and what they should say to those types of questions. Getting them off the record a little bit, um, you know, obviously out of respect for them, I'm not going to quote anything from anybody, you know, directly. But I, I think suffice to say it left an impact in their minds in the in the sense of when decision time comes, it's going to be really hard for them to forget how fun it was to see how those players were reacting after the game after the game was over. After the you know after that that ball sails over, uh, sails out of the end zone on fourth down to see the players' excitement to see the players' excitement post game in the locker room and how they interacted with the coaches. That kind of stuff seems to have really left an impact on those recruits who were able to go, more so than the environment of the game itself, more so than you know the fan engagement. It was how the team responded to the fans and how the team was really kind of galvanized together in that locker room, how they saw like there was real raw emotion when, when uh, Elisa Tuiaki got that game ball. You see little clips of it in the videos that BYU has put out, but from what I was told... Uh, 
a lot of real emotion from Tuiaki and from the coaching staff. Uh, like he had, you know, the monkey was taken off his back right there in real time for people to see. That was really cool for a lot of these recruits to see because they felt real, true, genuine love from player to coach and coach to player. And that's the kind of stuff that you can't just fake. You can't replicate that that easily. So that that is probably the biggest impact. And obviously the, the nature of the game, the emotion of the game, and the, the engagement of the fans at the game all play a role into that emotion that, that ends up in the locker room. But it's that locker room that really really separated BYU from everybody else. Yeah, and then um, the second half of your question. Um, now I just lost my train of thought because Jeff just talked for so long. My bad, man. <laughs> you talked for so long, and, and Brady, rephrase, remind me what the second uh, the second part of what you you said was of. Yeah. So the main main question there was, I, I remember seeing on some depth chart that Chase was was listed as the uh, yeah the, the, yeah the, the, the backup the, behind the receivers. Just, yeah, just curious how that how that shakes out with 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 receiver positions. So the receivers, I mean, they will rotate a lot just because like if somebody you're not going to be on the play on the field every play, and like if you're running a if you're running a deep route, you're going to come off the field the next play because you're they're not going to have you. You know, you just ran 60 yards and then come back and have you go do it again. Like, you'll get the other guy in. So it's – there is some, you know, where you can do different things. But it'll be like anything else on the defense where you're somewhere like on the defense how there's like 13 different positions listed and some guys are listed in multiple. It really just depends on what package there is because there may be a package where you want to stretch the field. And so you're going to bring Chase in and put him at the slot. But for the most part, you're going to have, you know, like your X receiver who's normal – like your – X receiver who is normally um, going to be the more sure-handed one and, and kind of do more of the intermediate routes than your Z receivers is your like targeted deep threat. Um, and those are, and then you obviously your tight end is the Y and then you have an H receiver um, who'd be an H back or the other slot back if you have it. And so just the same way that you have, and you can do different things like you can do, you can run the same thing with a tight end and a receiver where it's like, you know, Isaac Rex can be in a three-point stance and tied close to the line and be running the same exact route as a slot back, a slot receiver would in that same position, you know, moved out to the side. So it's all about, like, the relationship and the spacing on the field. So there isn't really um, – but in terms of what they're actually doing and what they're used to, they will – you'll see, like, a more of a rotation where it's like guys are usually more inside guys or outside guys. But then at the same time, there is a lot of different change because there are – things like where you will run bunch or we, you know, you will have like stacked receivers or um, different things. Like there was an actual play that we ran twice at Keanu Hill on both on the first drive and the last drive or in overtime heading into the same end zone where we ran the same play twice where um, like Cosper and Hill were stacked. And then Roberts went in motion behind Jaron and then kind of went out like it was going to be a swing pass. And then Keanu Hill just ran a wheel up the sideline and Jared threw in between the two defenders and he got lost. So they ran the exact same play twice, um, both in the first quarter and in the second overtime. And both of them counting Hill had like a 16, 7, 20 yard catch somewhere in there. Um, but the, for the most part, yeah, they are going to stay more of this is the position that they play just because of the different routes and getting comfortable with the quarterback throwing to you and how fast you are running those specific routes and whether you're like you're going more inside more outside and, and so there is kind of that more the actual depth sharpness but then with receivers it, you're rotating them all the time so like if you want to get them on the field more and get them more like you get them on the field more so it's not as it's not as big a deal just because you have so many buddies that you're constantly going through that said in the previous seasons a rod has kind of in grimes too is like this coaching staff since 2018 has kind of liked having there are three guys that they run for the vast majority of it. So will that be somebody's – so some reps, if Chase Roberts comes onto the scene, some reps have to go come from somewhere of, you know, what that rotation looks like. So it's more like a cha- a slight change in the rotation, um, but you're not going to, like, suddenly move Chase Roberts to be a slot receiver and because you want him to be on the field more. I mean, you'll still see some of it because there's some shuffling all around, but for the most part, you're going to kind of – just have your guys that feel comfortable. And that's where you see more of like a hockey lineup style change, maybe where it's like you have 
you know, Roberts and Hill next to each other because they are comfortable with how they run each other's routes and like where they are when they are together on the field at the same time makes it easier for Jaron rather than like a constant random shuffling of people. Got it. Makes sense. It's um, helpful. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, okay. So let's get, um, we got Mike dial in here and then uh, Grant, I see you in the queue again. Not sure if that was intentional or not. So um, you are sitting there and after Mike, we can jump back to you if you have more to share. Mike, our, our favorite sports scientist. That's right. I actually just barely found an article where I found who they who they hired. Um, if you remember, oh, what's his name? Colby Clawson. He's the guy that took out Sam Bradford in the Oklahoma game. He's been hired on as a sports scientist uh, for the team, so that's pretty cool. Uh, nice. But apart from that, I uh, just wanted to get on to my, to my question. And again, I think, thank you all for, for everything that y'all do. Uh, this, this game seemed pretty reminiscent of a couple of the early games last year, notably like Utah and ASU with the huge home crowd support, uh, close games. And uh, later on last season, things started to get derailed with, with some injuries to the defense. And it seemed that our defense just couldn't hang uh, with a lot of the opponents later on in the season. Uh, do you think anything would be different if heaven forbid we experienced some injuries on the defense? How do you think that experience would play into uh, to late games on this season? And essentially how do you think that would impact things this season? If any, if anything different. Honestly, not that much. Um, in the past, I probably would have said yes, right? I mean, last year we saw it. It changed. Uh, if you go back, there were 85 defensive snaps uh, against Baylor. Keenan Peely, for example, played 55. The defense was pretty aggressive for all 85 of those snaps, right? I mean, even uh, even you know Peyton Wilgar only played 49. So so the hockey subs are seem to be going away. But rotations aren't, and the scheme isn't changing. And I think, I, I think getting younger guys or maybe getting those twos and threes reps while the starters are also in the game, that gets them experience running that high-level defense where, where last year, because of the nature of hockey subs, you know, take a guy like Ben Bywater, it may have been the first time he was running with the ones when he got thrown into the game after Peely got hurt. Uh, that's been avoided this year, and so snaps are being a lot more evenly distributed. And you're seeing a lot more just rotations, not platoons. And as a result, I think that the scheme has more staying power as injuries mount up uh, throughout the season. Yeah, um, and I think, too, a lot of it, There, I think there will just be less of a drop-off this year just because of that's what happens when you have this much returning production. Like that's why returning production is a good indicator of that you're going to have a pretty decent season is because no matter how much you practice, how much time you spend in the rate room, nothing can replace actual game experience. And so while the hockey subs and injuries sucked last year and we have to go through it, it definitely was a learning and growing um, experience that will pay off and pay dividends this year and next year as those guys continue to age through the program. Cool, awesome. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I think I think that's that's also true and it's gonna be a gonna be a good good season here. Awesome. Thanks for having on. Okay, Grant, uh this will be our last one. Uh, Grant, we have you back on um in this and then we'll wrap up after this and then on probably on Thursday, Jeff and I will record our Oregon preview. Um so Grant, uh what uh, what did you have to say in your final words here tonight in our post game fireside? Appreciate getting the final word. I just, I was going to ask this question before, but I got kind of uh, rambled on a little bit and forgot. But so I just think about in time, like big wins in BYU's past, like think about 1984, we take on a top 10 pit team. Um, and then a lot of people like to say, well, that team, that pit team didn't end up being very good. I'm curious. I don't have as much, like I just watch the games. I enjoy them and you kind of see how it all plays out from from your guys' perspective, how good was this Baylor team that we just played? From my perspective, I would say that front seven was absolutely legit, like just a stone wall. I just can't really – I'm curious to hear what you guys think about what their trajectory potentially is and how big this win will be when the end of the season comes. 
Yeah, I, I think this Baylor team stays in the top 25. I don't think they repeat as Big 12 champions. The, they, they have, they're too talented in the trenches to not mm-hmm. stay really good. Uh, but I don't think they have enough juice on offense to be able to hang with you know, Texas in the Big 12. Looks like Texas again a little bit. Oklahoma is Oklahoma. Uh, and Oklahoma State has, has put up some points this year. So I, I think they're, uh, they lost. Hey, Kansas is 2-0, Jeff. What's Kansas, the Kansas Jayhawks are 2-0. 2-0 Kansas is something to look at. <laughs> I, I think that there's just too much juice in the conference, and, and, and Baylor lost too much to be at the same level that they were a year ago. But I do think that there's enough talent where it matters that this team is a good team throughout the year and finishes 8-4, you 9-3, know, and is, is hovering in the top 25. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, the amount of talent that they have in returned in their defensive and on their offensive line and their defensive line on both sides of the ball is just—it's too much to be ignored. And you can't discount the fact that it's—it is still a Jeff Grimes coached offensive line group. Um, even you know their running backs, we ate them up, but it's not like their running backs. Even though they lost their top two guys, it's not like the people that they brought in are you know scrubs, right? It's not. You look at. The pieces are there. There are big question marks offensive. I think their defense is fine. Dave Aranda is still one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. It's the biggest question is what can they do at receiver and who is going to who's going to be the guy that helps make things easy on Blake Shapin. And so that's where the biggest question mark is. And so that's I think because of the receiver position, that's they won't repeat as the Big Twelve champion. Um, but they will be they'll probably finish third or fourth in the league. And I think nine and three and then going to like an a uh like a music city bowl type like a they won't go to a new they probably won't end up in the new year six but go to like that next tier of bowl and with a chance alamo bowl um, against know, the Utes. yes like exactly like an alamo they'll go to like an alamo bowl against utah with a chance to finish 10 and three i think is the kind of season that they're looking at and they i think they'll finish the way they're looking now, I think they will finish ranked, um, and, but they could also surprise some people if the rest of that offense really clicks. But I think they can, they'll really do some nice things. And I don't think this is a situation like a uh, – I don't think this is a situation like our win against Wisconsin in 2018 where Wisconsin kind of fell apart after that and didn't end up being nearly as good as what people thought at the time. I think Baylor is definitely still a great team, um, and people – We'll see that and they're continue to play. They have the culture and we'll just play that hard nose football and have, you know, and they'll I think they'll do well in the Big Twelve, but they won't repeat this year. Appreciate um, so you. Th- thanks, thanks for no, th- thank you everybody. And so we will be back um next week. I, I was traveling yesterday. Um so for if you want to join us on our fireside next week after the Oregon game, it will be Sunday night. Um we'll do our Sunday night fireside kind of our post game recap, cap off the week, um, and then looking forward into next week. And so thank you everyone for joining us. If you are listening to this on your podcast feed, you can join us on our Discord. Um, the link is on our website at givenhelbrigham.com. Just click the Discord button and come get signed up and then you will get a notification on your phone when we go live next Sunday night. Um, so thank you everyone again who joined us and hope all of you have a great week and give them help.